0: There is no one in this universe who is like you. You have a name above all names, and at your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, as we're gathered here this morning, we come here with all kinds of different things in our minds, worries, concerns, joys, excitement, um, heartache, blessings. Lord, in the midst of all the busyness, the ups and downs of life, Lord, I pray that in this time, that we will be able to focus in on you to hear from your word, to hear your Holy Spirit speaking in our hearts and our minds so that we will see you more clearly. Therefore, so we can follow you more faithfully. And so we lift up this time to you, praying that you will be at work in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I read a book that just absolutely captivated my attention. And the book is called Bad Blood. Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. It was such an astonishing book that I read the entire thing, 352 pages in just 36 hours. I mean, it just absolutely captivated my attention. Bad Blood, it features a young woman named Elizabeth Holmes. You know, most young girls, when they think about what they want to be when they grow up, they dream of being a schoolteacher teacher or they dream of being a dancer, or they dream of being a singer, something like that. Elizabeth Holmes, from an early age, dreamed of being a billionaire. That was her dream. And at age 19, she dropped out of Stanford University in order to start a company. They, they, they developed a revolutionary device to run blood tests in people's homes. And the idea took off like wildfire. Investors like Rupert Murdoch and Betsy DeVos and Robert Kraft and the Walton family from Walmart, they invested hundreds of millions of dollars into her company. Her company's board featured just an all-star lineup. It featured two former secretaries of state of the United States. It featured General James Mattis, who had been the top general, the leader of all the joint forces militarily here in the United States. Elizabeth Holmes hired top talent away from other companies like Apple and Intel. She was all over the media billed as the next Steve Jobs. And by the age of 30, Elizabeth Holmes had fulfilled her dream. She was a billionaire. And in fact, she became the youngest female self-made billionaire in American history. And by 2015, her personal net worth was not just $1 billion. It was $5 billion. That was her personal net worth. Her company, at that point, was valued at $9 billion. And you look at the growth of her company, you look at Elizabeth Holmes's personal net worth, how it had grown just in astounding ways, and you want to know what was most astonishing of all that? What was even more astonishing than the growth of her company and the growth of her personal wealth was that it was all built on a lie. Because this revolutionary device that could test people's blood in their homes did not work properly. Yet she kept perpetuating that lie. She, She deceived millions upon millions of people throughout the country and even around the world. She duped even Walgreens which paid $150 million to use her device. And it didn't even work. I mean, it's just absolutely astonishing. And now her net worth is below zero. And she is facing criminal charges. It's in the news. I mean, if you research her name, the, the criminal trial is going on as we speak right now. And you look at Elizabeth Holmes, and I think she provides us with a picture of what unbridled ambition looks like. I mean, it's an astounding story. It's one of those books that even if you know the storyline, even if you know how it ends, it sweeps you along as you're trying to figure out how in the world is this thing going to work out? I mean, how is it going to come crashing down? What's, what's going to take place here? It's an astounding story. Even though her example is obviously in the extreme end of the spectrum, I think it provides us a little snapshot of the human nature that's inside all, all of us. Because everyone wants to succeed. Yes, we may define success and greatness in different ways, but everyone has an internal drive to succeed. We all have an ambition in some way or another. And you could picture it kind of like a chart a chart where we want our lives to be moving up and to the right that we want things to be improving our lives. Whether it's our financial status, we want it to be going up. Whether it's our health or our popularity or how well our business is doing or how well our church is doing, uh, we, we naturally want things to be going up and to the right. Human nature is to crave bigger and faster and stronger and richer and more influential. But I think a very important question that we need to ask is whether moving up and to the right is the best way to pursue success and greatness. What if God is calling us to something different than just constantly moving up and to the right? When we look in Scripture, I believe that God is calling us to a different type of path, a path that is shaped more like a U, like, kind of like the U-turn sign, where the path to go up starts by going down. And that is what we are going to see, that in the kingdom of God, you go down in order to go up. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Today we are beginning a new series that is called Jesus, Humble and Exalted. And the passage we're focusing on in Philippians 2, we're going to be going through this series through the end of April. This passage, I believe, is one of the most magnificent passages in the entire Bible. And it addresses two of our primary problems we have as humans. One of our big problems is that we have too small a view of Jesus. Where far too often we, we kind of begin to take him for granted. We get overly familiar with him. And we lose sight of how amazing he truly is. Now a second problem we have as human beings is that we struggle to honor Jesus. That we may know his way is best that our sinful nature gets in the way, the world's values get in the way and pull us in a different direction. And here in Philippians 2, we're going to see this passage is seeking to remedy both of those problems by elevating our view of Jesus and by conforming our values to his. Now let me set some context for us. Philippians chapter 2 starts off by calling us to love and unity in our relationships with others. And then it moves on to verses 3 and 4, which to me are some of the most practical verses in the Bible, where verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2 say, "'Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others.'" As I said, I think that is one of the most practical pieces of advice in the whole Bible for how we relate to other people around us. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But then in verse 5, Paul offers the motivation for that humble lifestyle that values others. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, other translations say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then verses 6 through 11 contain the main meat of this passage that we're going to be walking through in the coming weeks. It says, have the main, same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So we see in this passage, verses 6 through 11, this U-shaped trajectory of Jesus' life. He started out high and exalted, and then he humbled himself. He he, he took on the lowest position possible among humanity, and then he was exalted again to the highest place. We're going to be tracing this giant U-shaped pathway over the next few weeks in Jesus' life. And so, so what we see here again is that humility comes first, And then exaltation. That the path to success and greatness in the kingdom of God comes through humility and sacrifice. So what what we see here in this passage is that Jesus embodied astonishing humility. I mean, it really is breathtaking humility that Jesus is embodying here. Let's look at verse 6. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so the first half of this verse talks about the fact that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It specifically says that he was in the form of God. Now, God does not have a physical body, he is spirit. But there are certain characteristics that have always applied to God from all eternity. One characteristic is that he is eternal, he's been around forever. And he is sovereign. He is holy. He is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is present everywhere at once. These are the core characteristics of God. And when it says that Jesus was in the form of God, it says that these characteristics that characterize God have characterized Jesus from all eternity. Now, there is a distinction being made in this passage as well if you read it closely. You can see it clearly, for instance, in verse 9, where it says that God has highly exalted Jesus. There's a a distinction here between God and Jesus, where Jesus is God, yet there's also a difference uh, in some manner between God and Jesus here in this passage, and that's pointing to what's called the Trinity. The Trinity is uh, the biblical idea that God eternally exists in three persons. Each person is fully God, And there is one God. And biblically speaking, these three persons within the Trinity are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one of them is completely and fully God. Always has been. Yet there is also a distinction between them. Yet the Bible is very, very clear that there is only one God. And as you try to get your mind around this, your mind might be spinning a little bit if you're really comprehending what I'm saying here. But you know what? It shouldn't really surprise us that much. Because our minds are so limited in comparison to ultimate realities like God. Now, one thing I think is important to understand um, is just some general roles within the Trinity. When you look biblically, general roles within the Trinity, you have the Father who who is overseeing everything. You have God the Son who is uh, the focal point of redemption when he came to earth in, in human form. And then he now is interceding on on behalf of Christians at the right hand of God the Father. And then the Holy Spirit, who is also fully God, he carries out God's will on earth. And he empowers us to live the life that God is calling us to live. So these are general roles within the Trinity. And Jesus, this man that we call Jesus, he is God the Son with a human body. God the Son has existed from eternity past But at one finite point, about 2,000 years ago, he stepped off his heavenly throne and came into this world, took on a human body. And that is the man that we call Jesus, fully God and fully man. And when I think about Jesus stepping off his throne and coming into this world, I kind of think of the TV show, Undercover Boss. How many of you know that TV show? it's a pretty cool TV show, isn't it? I mean, I've seen a few episodes here and there through the years. Undercover Boss, you have someone who's a CEO or president of a company or something like that, and they they take on a disguise, and they work within their company. And I think, you know what, that's kind of like Jesus. Let me show you a promo video from the very first episode ever of Undercover Boss back in 2010. So take a look at this promo video. I'm Larry O'Donnell. My title is President and Chief Operating Officer at Waste Management. I'm actually going to go out into the operations undercover. you serious? This is going to give me the opportunity to really see what it's like to work at Waste Management. I'll be posing as Randy Lawrence, a construction worker who's being followed by a TV crew job you're gonna be doing is cleaning toilets. Freddy G? go. press hey, right there. Hey. Let's do it. <laughs> We're like hunters. We see our prey, we creep up on it. We don't know what's in here, but we know it's trouble. We're getting her done. That didn't come from a human. There was an animal in here. It ain't just a job, it's an adventure. You put that in that bucket right there. I call it the battlefield. Even if you get a little splat on you, you're wounded, but you keep going. Hi, I'm Randy. Good morning. I'm Sandy. All right, those are trash. Yep, those are trash. Oh, you got to pick up cardboard. You have to get that off because it'll jam the equipment. This goes by so fast. Cardboard. I missed it. Cardboard line plugged up down there. I hope I didn't mess something up. So you see, I mean, the, the humbling downward descent, CEO, who is now cleaning porta-potties, maybe getting a little splatter on him, but you, as the guy said, you just keep on going. So, so I, I think that's a, a bit of a glimpse of what it would be like for God the son to step off his heavenly throne and come to this world. Do you see the surprise in that boardroom? When the CEO said, I'm going undercover, and I'm going to go work out in the company. It's shocking. It's not something that would be considered normal. But that's a picture of what Jesus did. He stepped off his heavenly throne and came into this world sort of undercover, kind of like the undercover God, And that, you know, most people didn't recognize who he truly was. If you did, most did not. But he came here with a purpose. Yet there are at least three big differences between the TV show Undercover Boss and what Jesus did. One of the differences is that Jesus started so much higher than a CEO does. Jesus started so much higher. And so what that means is that his descent to come into this world, this broken world, to become human and then to descend even lower than just being a human, to die on a cross, that's such a more humbling descent than what any CEO has ever done. Also, those CEOs and undercover boss, they are undercover for a few days, maybe for a week. Jesus humbled himself and came to this earth for 33 years. There's a big difference there between sleeping in a hotel for a couple nights and saying, "I, I, I have no place to lay my head in terms of no house for 33 years. There's a big difference there. Also, one of the other huge differences is that on the TV show, part of the interesting factor is that the bosses struggle. They struggle to trade in the leadership and the management position within the corner office and come in, into their company and do the hands on labor, the manual labor. They always struggle, suddenly, they even get fired from their own company because they're struggling so much. Yet, Jesus, He did not struggle when He came into this world. He thrived. Yes, he faced pushback. He faced challenges and trials. But he thrived. These are some major differences. But again, Jesus came to this world pretty much as the undercover God with a mission to fulfill. The kids shared uh, with us earlier really well what that mission was. It was to redeem us, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to reconcile us with God. That was his mission. But it required him stepping off his throne and coming into this world. And, you know, it's amazing that he would do that, that Jesus did not leverage his godhood for his own benefit. Jesus was God, but he did not leverage the assets that come with being God for his own benefit. I mean, the typical attitude of humanity is to leverage whatever assets we have to benefit ourselves. That if someone has intelligence And if they have skills, they're going to want to go to the best college they can get into. They're typically going to want to get the best job that they can get, meaning the highest-paying, most meaningful job they can get. They want to leverage the assets of intelligence and skill for their advantage. If someone has financial assets, our typical mindset is to leverage those to get a nice house, to get a nice car, to go on nice vacations, to have nice, fun experiences, to get a nice retirement. We want to leverage our financial assets for our own benefit. So the natural inclination is to leverage whatever assets we have to benefit ourselves. I mean, can you imagine, for instance, the Queen of England or Donald Trump or LeBron James or Oprah moving? into the slums of Calcutta, India. Can you imagine that happening? I, I can't. And especially, I mean, Jesus did something even greater. I mean, you have someone like Mother Teresa. She did that type of thing. I mean, it didn't start quite as high as any of those four. But she moved into the slums of Calcutta, India. But that is a rare form of sacrifice and service and humility that she lived out in her life. But Jesus did something even greater than what Mother Teresa did because he stepped off his heavenly throne when he did not have to. And he came into this world in human form, in the form of a servant. He did not leverage his own assets and the benefits of godhood for his own advantage. And we see that here in verse 6. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count to equality with God A thing to be grasped. Now, the idea of a thing to be grasped means that he is not going to forcefully hold on to it. You know what? If someone comes and and reaches into my back pocket, say in a city or something, and tries to take my wallet, what's my response going to be? My response is going to want to be to hold on to that wallet for myself. That's my natural response. I'm going to grasp it. I don't want them to grasp it. I want to hold on to it myself and not let them take it. It says that Jesus did not grasp onto the privileges of Godhood. He was willing to let that go. He was still God when he, when he was here on earth, fully God, fully man. But he did not leverage the assets of Godhood for his own benefit. He went hungry. He went thirsty. He was mocked. People were mean to him. He was crucified. Incredibly humbling, isn't it? And so we see that he did not use the benefits of Godhood for his own advantage. He said, you know what? I am happy to go down there. I'm not going down there begrudgingly. I'm not going down there against my will. No one forced him to come here to this earth. But he said, you know what? I'm happy to go down there to get my hands messy because there is a mission I want to accomplish. And I'm driven by love. So, again, this is very much under, unlike Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss, I mean, the bosses are in there for a few days, a week. Jesus was here for 33 years. It shows his astonishing humility. And it shows that in the kingdom of God, the way to go up is by first going down. It shows that the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God runs through servanthood. It shows that the road to true meaning and joy is through humility. And this was first modeled by King Jesus, but we are called to that same type of humble lifestyle in our lives as well. I want to turn our attention back now to verses 3 and 4 that I read earlier. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. For me, again, this is one of the most practical passages in all the Bible. I mean, look, not only to your own interests, also to, to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. You know, life is so much easier and so much better when we live with humility. Let me share with you four different benefits that come from humility. One is a greater level of peace of mind. Because frequently, when we do not have humility, when we are filled with a sense of arrogance or entitlement or ego or pride, we are constantly worried about how our other is perceiving us or will I be successful in this. We are worried about protecting our sense of identity. But when we are humble, it gives us peace of mind because we don't take ourselves so seriously. It's easier just to let things kind of roll off our back Even if someone's critical of us, we can learn from them rather than bristling. Again, it helps us not take ourselves too seriously. It helps us alleviate the the need to constantly prove ourselves in the eyes of others. I mean, on a practical basis, humility helps us sleep better at night. Humility helps us to trust God more. Bottom line, we're happier, more content, more satisfied when we are able to live with humility. That's one benefit is that peace of mind. The second benefit of humility is personal and spiritual growth because humility allows us and enables us to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I have room for growth. When we mess up, pride will make us want to cover up that mistake that we made. Humility enables us, us to say, you know what, yeah, I blew it there. I didn't handle that as well as I could. This is an area of weakness. But that admission opens the door to growth. Another benefit of humility is healthy relationships. Because oftentimes when you look at relationships that aren't very healthy or are kind of distant, there's some degree of pride or conceit or envy that works its way into that. But with humility, we don't have to worry about impressing others. With humility, we can really focus on their well-being. Humility enables us to listen well to them, to really put their interests even ahead of our own. And that that helps a ton in terms of, of fostering healthy relationships. And then when there is strain or strife in the relationship, humility helps us reconcile, helps us forgive, helps us rebuild the bridges of trust with someone else. And one other benefit of humility is that if we're in any role of leadership or responsibility, that leads to better leadership. You know, for decades, secular leadership focused on on finding people who are very charismatic in their personalities, who are very driven to success, who are constantly moving themselves and their companies up and to the right, people who are very visionary. But recently, secular leadership has been recognizing what Jesus has been teaching us all along, that humility is key in leading. For instance, just a few months ago, there was a Wall Street Journal article that cited several recent studies that, shocker, showed that humility is beneficial in leadership. It it took official studies by various colleges investing money in order to determine that, that humility is beneficial for leadership. And the Wall Street Journal article, the title was The Best Bosses Are Humble Bosses. Let me just share a little bit from the article. It cited several of the recent studies. They reveal humble leaders inspire inspire close teamwork, rapid learning, and high performance in their teams. The article defines a humble leader as someone who tends, quote, to be more aware of their own weaknesses, eager to improve themselves, appreciative of others' strengths, and focused on goals beyond their own self-interest. It says they can be highly competitive and ambitious, Yet at the same time, they tend to avoid the spotlight and give the credit to their teams and the others around them. They ask for help and listen to feedback from others, setting an example that causes subordinates to do the same. So even in leadership, humility is so incredibly beneficial. And, you know, the key um, to, to just a healthy lifestyle is right here in the Bible, Humility, go down in order to go up. Sacrifice, serve, put others' interests ahead of ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those are Paul's words inspired by the Holy Spirit in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. So on a practical basis, this can be lived out in our daily lives and relationships. For instance, in marriage, This is a call to not just focus on ourselves. But when we're struggling to understand our spouse, put ourselves in their shoes. Think about things from their perspective. Consider seriously, how can we benefit our spouse, not just serve ourselves? How can we serve them? How can we listen to them? How can we surprise him or her with our thoughtfulness or our care, our generosity? At school or in the workplace? Humility calls us not just to focus on how we can get ahead, but how we can truly benefit others. How can we help them thrive? How can we encourage our coworkers or our classmates tomorrow at school or at work? Perhaps it means we ask questions and we truly listen, not just trying to solve their problems, but to empathize, to understand, to help them feel heard. Here at church, Truly living a humble, caring life that is modeled after King Jesus means that when we come in here, we aren't just focused on ourselves and what we're doing. We're focused on others and on God. That with others, that we take notice if someone looks lonely, that we go maybe sit with them, talk with them. That if someone is struggling, we pray for them. Maybe even right there we say, hey, can I pray for you? means maybe we reach out to people that we don't know. You know, this type of humbly looking to others' interests, not only our own, it transforms our relationships and makes us into a life-giving person in the same way that Jesus was life-giving. And I I want to just point out just one quote that I think helps us to grow in humility. It's from a guy named Dan Hayes. He wrote this in a book called Fire Seeds of Spiritual Awakening a number of years ago. So he says, one does not become humble by thinking a lot about humility. Instead, humility manifests itself in individuals' lives as they focus on something or someone else. Rather than concentrating on the quality they are trying to develop, they forget about themselves as they concentrate upon the other person or thing. So I think this is a key to humility. The humility basically is just not really focusing on ourselves. And so the way we do this is not just saying, I'm nothing, I'm worthless, uh, I'm meaningless. Um, no, that, that's not what humility is. Humility is simply focusing externally, focusing on Jesus, focusing on God. And the more we get our focus on Jesus and the more we get our focus on others, the more humble we naturally become. Now, I think our natural human inclination is to uh, reject this, this idea that we're talking about, about this U-shaped pathway to greatness and success. Because we naturally want to be moving up to the right. And I shared earlier that example of Elizabeth Holmes. And I think, you know what, that's an extreme example. Because I think we all have a little bit of Elizabeth Holmes in us. It's known as the sinful nature. Now, she lived out that sinful nature and that, that ambition to an extreme. But we all have that, that self-centeredness, the ambition that wants to be great but wants to always be moving up and to the right. Where Jesus calls us to something different. Calls us to a lifestyle of humility and sacrifice. And he says, you know what? That is the pathway to greatness and success in God's eyes. I want to close just by reminding us of Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. These are the words of Jesus. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted pathway to exaltation flows through humility. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you modeled for us a humble life. That you showed us in in such an amazing manner what it looks like to to humble yourself. To set aside uh, the benefits that you could derive from your own assets and to serve others. Lord, I pray that you will impress upon our hearts today as we leave this place in a few minutes or an hour after Mission Sunday, that you will impress upon us that you shape lifestyle, that greatness and success in your eyes comes not by just continuing to press forward with ambition and self-focus of how can we improve ourselves, but it comes through humility, through sacrifice, and through serving others. We thank you that Jesus modeled that And that in his modeling, he wasn't just here just as a model and a teacher. He was here to redeem us. And we thank you for that as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.